the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the third Sunday of Easter for the week of April 23rd, 2022. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to begin this week's podcast, and I'm excited because in the Northern Hemisphere, we are in spring. And the beautiful thing about spring is you're watching new life happen, especially when we're in an Easter season and we're watching and we're thinking about new life and what does that mean. It makes it really easy to be able to picture it. Even as we're watching sometimes setbacks of snow come in, sometimes cold weather after warm weather, but we understand the process of what it takes. And I think in certain ways, it helps make the season of Easter and especially the stories that we get here early on really relatable. It makes it easier for us to be able to understand the doubt the frustration, the questioning, especially as we go through, if you're in the northern half of the United States or even the northern part of the northern hemisphere, the frustration of it looks like spring one day, it still feels like winter the next. This idea of the process of how it doesn't just all happen at once. It comes in stages. It takes a while. It's not just this quick in and out of winter one day, spring the next. And what's beautiful in that is that then it allows us to be able to understand this process that we're going through to develop into that. And it makes it easier for us to picture this Easter season. Let's look back to last week's question that we had for Wonder Wednesday, which was, where is our basic understanding holding us back from seeing what God is trying to show us? And I think one of the things that was super interesting is people admitting there is a lot of things we don't understand and why we have specialists within our lives, why there is certain people who specialize in understanding different types of computing, why we have specialized people to understand how to fix a car, specialized people to fix plumbing, all these specialists, because there is a part where we can't grasp all of it. But I think then it raises the good follow-up to that is, are we talking to those people enough to be able to understand where God is moving within that to help us then even on a basic level have appreciation for where they're seeing God and then it allows us to be able to move forward. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor in and of itself on, again, in this Easter season, especially as we'll get into this week, how we need to bring everyone together, right? We looked at last week how we had the 10 of the disciples together, Thomas wasn't there, and suddenly then you're bringing them back into the fold to help them understand what is going on. And we'll see that even a little bit this week. So let's just jump right into it. The first reading this week is still out of Acts chapter 2, verse 14a, and now 36 through 41. This is continuing the second week of three weeks in Acts as we're hearing this lecture, this speech, this sermon from Peter. And so we have 14a always reminding us of this. But it's now the part of What do we do with this information? Because that Christ has been crucified, what does that now mean? Peter then is saying, repent, recognize where we have gone wrong, and be baptized. And recognize that in that repentance, then the forgiveness comes. It's that completion of that circle, that baptism of recognizing that we're following Jesus, we're going toward that, but also the recognition of how we are 
moving forward in our faith and we're continuing down this road of trying to be closer to Jesus and that baptism is a step in that. The psalm that goes with this is Psalm 116 verses 1 to 4 and 12 through 19. This is this recognition then of what the Lord has done for this person. What the Lord has done is hearing the calls. It is then in because of hearing what the calls have been, it is causing the person, the singer, the psalmist to turn their ears toward God and making sure that they're hearing what the Lord is saying. And this recognition in this is a kind of a prayer of you have heard me these are things that i have cried out to and i you have heard my call and it's this thank you within that and so then recognizing as they're hearing back from god that there's all these people out there and to recognize how precious and special they are and to give thanksgiving for them but also to be there and to show the love that god wants us to show to our neighbors in that also the New Testament text then that goes along with this, the second reading, is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. This then is picking up on this theme of, okay, now because of what Christ did for us, we no longer have to fear death. And in doing that, then we're putting our trust in God, not trust in these human things. And this recognition of us understanding the obedience of the truth of who God is and then displaying that genuine love, displaying that for others to be able to see. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 35. This is the story of on the road to Emmaus. And we have to remember with all this, before we even really get into the story, of how quick the timeline is. This is the evening of the resurrection. So we have Jesus appearing to the 11 disciples and then Thomas, the initial appearing happening on the evening of his resurrection. So that Sunday morning, the resurrection happens in the morning. He appears to them. And now we're going to have this another appearance here. So you have two people walking to the village of Emmaus. And as they're walking, they have this man kind of appears and is talking and asking them, what are you guys talking about? Cleopas responds with, have you not heard what has been going on? We're talking about this Jesus of Nazareth guy and how we thought this was the Messiah. We thought this was going to be the one who is going to set Israel free. Instead, he's gone through this death and there's questions now of potential resurrection. They're not entirely sure what to believe. They've been hearing that the women are hearing that they've been doing some things. There's questions about some of the disciples not finding him in the tomb. And then we get this interesting response from this quote-unquote stranger in verse 25. He said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. 
And so he's continuing going on and he's laying out all this history of everything that's been laid out. As they're then going along, they're approaching the village. It's getting late. Jesus, or the stranger, is looking to continue on. They invite him in to have bread and a meal together. He grabs the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And in verse 31, their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished. They then start talking about the feelings that they had along the road and how, what is this all meaning? Were you feeling something different now that they're looking back? And when they recognize this, they go and find the other 11 and tell them what they have seen, that the Lord has risen indeed and not only appeared to you know Simon and some of the women and appeared at the tomb, but yet here is another time and that they was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And we have to remember that wasn't necessarily just purely for the disciples. Jesus had broken bread before with the feeding of the 4,000 and 5,000. So there are even these disciples that were not necessarily part of the core would be able to recognize Jesus by the breaking of the bread. This has been something that has been done before. And so that's where we are at, this recognition still on the eve of his resurrection of here is Jesus appearing to people, showing that, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the one who has been promised. If you can understand what the scriptures and the prophets have been telling you, this is going to happen. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcasts or commentaries or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help produce this podcast. Heck, one of the ideas that Joy J. Moore brought up for this week on this text, I'm going to talk a little bit about because she brought in some science and it's super awesome. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org for the commentaries and discussions and their Working Preacher podcast, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text each week, but they also have the amazing art to be able to see it through different times and different spaces and how different people have interpreted these texts, prayers, hymns, colors. If you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary from, from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend it because otherwise you are really missing out. I'll also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable Weekly Reflections and their Green Blades Rising Publications. Why do I recommend these? Because they are an amazing content to be able to look at these texts again in a commentary on a weekly basis along with their monthly newsletter to let you know about different ecological ideas, echoes, and even events that are coming up in the upper Midwest and beyond in these publications. I can't recommend them enough. In fact, this last weekend, they had an event in Duluth, Minnesota, their EcoFace Summit, their Pollinator Plot. I was there in person. It was an amazing event. I'd highly recommend, if you haven't signed up for this newsletter yet, check it out. It's a great compliment to a lot of what's going on over here. So if you Find that type of thing and being able to bring creation care and environmental issues into your preaching or into your learning about text. I'd highly recommend checking out this resource. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Gus Davis Academy Faith, Science, and Ethics. It brings high school students from across the country to learn alongside top scientists, theologians, and activists. At the intersections of faith and science, they work together to find solutions to some of the world's most pressing challenges. While having a lot of fun, 
and creating an open and non-judgmental space for questions and community. Think Bible Camp for teens who are excited about science and justice. This summer, they're super excited to explore insects, climate change, and the interconnectedness of creation. They'll go into a deep dive into the growing impacts of bugs on the environment, the land in which they live on, and the food that we all eat and more. They'll be hands-on learning in ecology, theology, and discovering how faith and science can work hand-in-hand to create a more beautiful future for our planet. This year, they are looking at doing it between June 17th and the 23rd. 2023 in St. Peter, Minnesota. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, The links to it will be down in the description. And as I've stated before, I am in conversations. I am looking at being there for part of that week. So it's another opportunity to be able to have some face-to-face time. And I'd love to grab a coffee with you and talk some more about this stuff. This is an amazing opportunity. When we look at these texts and think about how Christ was appearing, and yet there were times we are blind to it, at times how we don't see initially, and how it takes time to get to that point. I think of how many things within our world have been that way, and how many things we misunderstand about ourselves in general, and that we're still working on to figure out how all this stuff works. For instance, Let's start with an image of resurrection, but let's think about it in a different way. Butterflies. Butterflies typically used, and I've even used, talking about Easter Sundays in the past, but I'd argue this week is a better week to actually talk about butterflies because we love seeing the butterfly, which is at the end of the life cycle. It's the last stage. It metamorphosizes into that. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about a lot of the other stages, going from an egg to a caterpillar to a chrysalis to a butterfly or a moth. How often do we look at caterpillars and actually spend time thinking about what are they going to become? Or do we just want to skip to the final product? How many times do we actually think about the eggs becoming caterpillars and the life that that has taken to get there? In fact, if we go to the infancy of science, insects were thought to have come from the dust, the mud, the dirt, and even rotten meat. That they just were there and they just came out of it because we didn't understand how these things worked. And one of the names that has been kind of lost to science of the first person really spending time to actually publish and show that this was not the case, was yet again a woman. So just like Jesus' resurrection appearing for the women to see and for the women to tell, here again, we have this story of the women coming forth. Maria Sibylla Marion in the late 1600s. As David Attenborough, the great British guy that he is, stated, She is one of the most significant contributors to entomology, which is the study of bugs and insects. Born into an artist's family, she first described metamorphosis through her collecting insects and drawing them. And as she went through the struggles of a failed marriage, she published a book. At a time when they were looked at as caregivers, she comes out with a book talking about flowers. 
1699, she set sail for Sernomi, South America. And it is believed to be the first woman ever to travel for science. In her two years there, she collected a vast number of drawings of not only the insects, but some of the different animals that were also there. And in that, what was significant of when she published her book, The Metamorphosis of Insects of Cernomi, she showed the development stages and showing how they would go into a chrysalis and what did those look like and being able to turn into the moth and butterfly or the different insects there. She also did amazing work with showing the plants that these insects depended on for their development to happen. One of the also cool side notes that she did is she also talked about a major help in her being able to do all this were the native people and how they had been enslaved and how she didn't feel the treatment was fair, making it harder for her to be able to even sometimes get this stuff because of how harsh that these slaves, the native people, were being treated. So in 1705, she had her book published, The Metamorphosis of Insects of Cernomi. This is amazing because now as we're going through a world of climate change and her being able to have pictures showing the plants in which these insects were dependent upon for their different life cycles, we can see how different insects are evolving and changing or are they still that dependent on the plant, which a lot of insects are dependent on plants. It was talked about at the Ecological Summit this last weekend. But it's helping scientists to be able to look and be able to have a historical document like this to help understand the impact of what is going on. Her book is 300 years old and is still having impact on our scientific community. The eyes that were opened even at the time of being able to understand how there is a life cycle to these and that butterflies don't just happen, moths don't just happen. They start from a very small thing, an egg going through a caterpillar and the evolution that they go through in their lifetime is amazing that she was able to open our eyes to that. Another way that we can look at this, and it was something that Joy J. Moore brought up, was how music plays differently in the mind of people who are going through dementia and Alzheimer's versus typical language. As we probably know, when Alzheimer's or dementia is setting in, sometimes words and association and all these different things start to seem to fade away. But one of them, as they have studied different things and looked into music therapy, music doesn't. A lot of times, music is one of the last things to go in Alzheimer's and dementia. And the reason is, is it's in a different part of the brain. It's not where language is. It's in the cerebellum because of the rhythms and because of movement, dance, all the different things that go on. The cerebellum, the nickname of the little brain, is where music happens. And suddenly, engaging music can help re-spark some of these language things that seem to be slipping away and help bring back some of these memories that, for a moment, that seem to be slipping. Jesus did something at that moment that helped these travelers, Cleopas and some others, recognize Jesus. 
And I would also argue that it means Jesus was continuing to evolve. Jesus looked different or was somehow unrecognizable to these people. Even as he was teaching them, he didn't look recognizable. He was continuing to evolve and change. How often do we spend time seeing a caterpillar or an insect of some nature and actually think about what is this going to evolve into? Is this the final life stage of its metamorphic cycle or is there something greater that it's going to become? Is this the final stage? Jesus is showing that this is not the final stage and it was talked about last week and it's still coming as we hear the echoes of the Pentecost that are going to be coming. The Holy Spirit coming to us. And I think within the world in which we're in and especially the church, big C church that we're in, we keep thinking we're in a final form. But are we? Are we really in a final form? Or is this a time of metamorphosis? That's the question for this week. Is the church and us in a stage of metamorphosis? Are we in a stage of metamorphosis? I think as we have gone through the events that we have over the last three years, as we've gone through the amount of change that our society has gone through, I think we are. And it's hard because it means that we have to let go of things. We've talked about before how caterpillars can remember the past. They hold on to that. They can keep those memories even as they evolve into the next stage. But that means we can't get stuck seeing ourselves purely as caterpillars. And that means when we're seeing caterpillars out there, we can't get stuck just thinking of that as a caterpillar. In fact, for me this last week, as I was thinking about this, I found it really interesting. I found an article for here in the northern woodlands of the United States, what I have always known as a woolly bear as a type of caterpillar that I see in the spring that's an orange and black, kind of dull colored. I've never thought to look up what does that actually turn into. I've always thought of that as its final stage. The renowned wanderer of caterpillars turns into the Isabella tiger moth. And it's a beautiful reddish moth. And I know as I look at pictures of it, I'm fairly confident I've seen these before. But I've never made that connection. I've never brought those two together. And it, to me, feels very similar to what those disciples on the road to Emmaus experienced. As they rumble across this scholar who doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem or is playing dumb. And then gives them this sermon as they're walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And suddenly, when they're eating a meal together, sharing what they've been discussing, and suddenly the bread is broken and blessed, and the picture comes together that this wasn't just anybody. This was the risen Lord that they had heard rumors about had walked with them. Before they knew it, he had disappeared. We too often don't bring the picture together and that's part of the frustration at times in this lifetime that we can't see the whole picture. We can't see everything that God is doing all at once. We can't see 
entirely how the brain is able to pull language back when suddenly music is there. And it works differently now. It's frustrating that that's how it has to work. It's frustrating that we get so locked in that we don't have the curiosity to keep pursuing to understand. I think a question to think about is, why did Jesus tell them all of that on the road to Emmaus? And I would argue the reason is they showed they cared. They were genuinely curious. They were trying to put the pieces together. And that's when Jesus is like, okay, they have enough knowledge and curiosity that they've understood what's going on. Let's see if I can give them more pieces and how long it's going to take for them to put it all together. Having been a substitute teacher in my life, that is one of the most rewarding things on the face of the planet. And even as a youth minister now, the light bulb moment for a child, when the eyes get big and that grin comes on their face as you recognize that they suddenly have put the pieces together. After watching their brain try and work to put these pieces together, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, the light bulb comes on. The grin comes, the sparkle to the eyes, they figured it out. The curiosity has finally been figured out at least for that question. But often it expires more and more questions because they want to feel that again. Our faith should be the same way. Jesus on the road to Emmaus is satisfying these questions that these people have. And the moment they get satisfied, what do they do? They run to tell others so that they can experience that too and get filled up themselves with what all is going on. And what do we do next now? What more do we do because we've figured this out? How much more curious I'm going to be about caterpillars this year to see what moths or butterflies they're going to turn into instead of casting them aside. How precious music is that my brain looks at it differently, that it is not just language. It's an associate memory that connects all these things that goes into a different part of my brain to pull all these things together, to think critically, and how beautiful that is. Jesus is wanting us to put the pieces together, but to put pieces together, we have to be curious. We have to be curious just like Maria's Sabella Marion, to continue pursuing things, even when the world at that point was saying insects were coming from dust and dirt and mud and rotten meat to keep pursuing and to try to understand and see where God is steering us and see what other new and creative and awesome ways of how God works and have our curiosity never stop because then we continue to walk with Jesus on that road on the way to Emmaus. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.